Welcome to Planet to the Pets. I'm your host, Alan Lodge, and I run Newlands Pets, the dog food specialist. And each week we are joined by dog and cat enthusiasts, real experts in the field. Before we get to the interview with Matthew from Dogology University, we wanted to cover a very, very common question we get. Um, now we're asking as many people as we can uh, to send in questions uh, that you want to know about your dog, about your cat, how to care for them, um, living with them, all that sort of stuff really. Um, and you can get in contact at newlandspets.co.uk and send us your questions. And this one, uh, whilst not being a direct question, is something we get asked around about four to five times a day in the shop. And it's about uh, fussy dogs. Now, it's really, really common for a dog to go fussy and it happens a huge amount. And like I say, we get asked on a very, very regular basis. And normally the solution is nice and simple. So if I take the example of someone who came in uh, this Saturday, just gone, their dog had suddenly gone fussy. And when we really dug down into it, we really discussed what the dog's having throughout the day. It turns out that the dog is going to the office with them and having a huge amount of treats uh, not given by the owner given by various different people from different desks and things like that so he was doing absolutely nothing wrong and we don't want people to think they got a fussy dog they've done something completely wrong because actually very rarely is that the case it's normally just slightly too many calories going into the system and that can cause the dog to go fussy and when we say fussy we're talking about a dog who all of a sudden refuses to eat or is maybe eating two to three days well and then not eating to two to three days and it often will follow that pattern and a really really good way to think about it is a bit like us at Christmas we eat a huge amount on Christmas day a massive amount on Boxing Day and then the day after we really don't fancy eating anything at all maybe a salad or something like that you tend to pick at your food and we do this to dogs all the time we slightly overfeed them or if you're like me at Christmas, completely overfeed them. And then they don't want to eat. And then they get hungry again. And we again slightly overfeed and we get this up and down of calories. And it's really, really common with dogs. So the best thing you can do is just slightly reduce the amount of calories you're giving to the dog. That's specifically the case. If the dog is a fine weight, specifically if the dog is, is overweight, you can reduce the calories and you don't need to normally reduce it by too much. What a lot of people concentrate on is the food. Now, we found just from experience, it's often the treats, actually. People will put a huge amount of effort into finding the right food for their dog, and rightly so, as they should, but then sometimes we'll forget about the treats and we'll be giving either poor quality treats or high calorific treats and of course it can be from good quality treats as well if too much of absolutely anything will will cause a dog to go fussy eventually so it's well worth looking at that and if you want some specific information about it head over to the website and ask us the question and we'll happily answer your specific case and we can go through what the dog's getting during the day and we can really get to the bottom of it and and give you some advice but don't think you've done something wrong because like I say, we get a huge amount of people asking it constantly every single day. So it's a really, really common question. So with that done, let's get to the interview with Matthew from Dogology University. So welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Thank you for joining us. So where are you joining us from? I'm actually in Canton, Michigan. It's right outside of Ann Arbor in the great uh, country of the United States. Excellent. Um, and how's the weather with you? 
Oh, today it's beautiful. It's uh, a brisk 55 degrees uh, with a nice little uh, uh, breeze. And uh, it's really, really comfortable. Brilliant. So tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got into the world of canines. How did I get into the world of canine and dog training? Uh, I actually uh, enlisted into the service, the United States Air Force, uh, back in 2008. And I knew right then that I wanted to be uh, a canine handler uh, for the Air Force because uh, I was already a uh, police officer or a military police. And I knew that was the direction I wanted to take my career. Uh, I actually tried three times to get into the program. The first time I got denied, second time I got denied. And then I told my wife, like, I'll try one more time because I really, really like these dogs. And uh, I said, if I don't get it, then I guess it's just not meant to be. Yeah. And so I submitted it and it took forever. I remember doing it like in December, maybe January. And it was, I was actually stationed in Utah. It was just bitterly cold. And uh, when I finally got the acceptance, it was May. And I, I actually like jumped up and down. And I think I actually sprained my ankle, if I remember correctly, <laughs> uh, because I, I jumped so high. Uh, and then we went down to San Antonio in July of, uh, let's see, that was... 2010 and uh got trained up to do the uh the department of defense canine school and that's where i learned pretty much all my my learning theory and during that time i you know i worked dutch shepherds german shepherds belgian malinois uh actually got to see some labs doing some great amazing detection work uh, off leash some vishalas then I started deploying all the time. I would deploy like every six months. Went to uh, the Middle East several times. Iraq twice, Jordan, Pakistan, Oman, Kuwait, Qatar. Uh, so you could pretty much say that the Middle East became a second home. Um, I just wish they had a lakefront, view, you know. <laughs> um, and then from there, uh, my last deployment, I really, really, really took a hit on me mentally. And I, I made a decision to get out. But before getting out, um, my working dog, Kato, the German Shepherd, he's done all these amazing things. And the only thing that really was lacking on his resume and mine was doing the presidential Secret Service missions. And so uh, tornadoes actually hit Little Rock, Arkansas, which where I was at at the time. And uh, President Obama came in uh, to do some, some aid and give some speeches and morale boosters for the area. And we got elected to do that mission and provide security and detection for him there. Uh, and then got introduced to some Secret Service agents while there. And they're like, dude, we're going up to uh, Boston. You should come out and uh, try to get on to our team. And so I tried out and actually made that team as well and went over to Boston and Connecticut and that Northeast while he was on his diplomatic journey to nominate Hillary Clinton for the election. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, we did all the, the Secret Service missions over there. And uh, at that time, I was very, very just grateful for everything that I, I got, um, all the experiences that I, I received. And I knew that I wanted to raise a family. So I was satisfied with my career and how I left it and uh, got out and started working trying to really figure out what I was going to do, getting out of the military, looking for explosives uh, overseas. 
doesn't really translate very well in civilian life. <laughs> no. So I kind of got out with only one set of skills and not sure how to put it to use. So then I started finding some private pet trainers in the, our area, started connecting with them, working for them, and just realizing the product that they were putting out and and providing consumers uh, were, was actually very disheartening to me. Um, you know, I don't really agree with providing e-collars and, and, and prongs and, and choke chains as the only means of training. I think we can definitely use those later on if need be, but to be so reliant on it, uh, just, I didn't feel right. I felt like the dogs became obedient to those tools and not the owner or the commands themselves, which is the primary thing that the military, military instilled into me hmm. was, you know, the dog will be obedient to odor when they're looking for, you know, doing detection work and they'll be obedient to the handler when the handler asks for a command. Um, and I just felt, really felt like these, these places, these private dog training places were really relying on these tools and kind of doing a disservice. So I no longer felt satisfied or, or there was no drive for me. I, I just felt really discouraged. So I took some time off from, from dogs but everywhere I went, no matter what uh, interview I went to, no matter where I was working, started working at Google, started working at Dale Carnegie training. And every time it got brought up that I, you know, I was canine handler and people were just so fascinated with my stories uh, in the Middle East with Obama as Secret Service. And uh, I just felt like I kept telling the same stories and people were like, oh, you know, that makes sense. Like my dog does this, this and this. And um so I was like, okay, like maybe I should make a like a little guide. And so I took all all my notes from my DOD school and my days like in the in the schoolhouse. I had little drawings, little doodles, and I turned it into a book, which is Dogology 101. And I really literally just did it for my friends and family because I kept felt like I kept telling the same stories. And so I self-published. And I didn't really do any research. I didn't, I'm telling you, like I wasn't going out trying to make a million dollars off of a book, but within a week, it's it sold over eleven hundred copies, and we made it to Amazon best selling here in the states. Uh, we made it to number three, and I was like, I was up there with Caesar Milan, Kira Sundance, and other people that I really look up to, uh, even Dr. Ian Dunbar, um, and it was just such a humbling experience. Where I was like, oh my gosh, I, I looked at my wife, I'm like, babe, like we, I'm good at this. People care about it, and people are fascinated with my story. Like we have to do something with this. So, you know, Dogology 101, the book was the launching point. Uh, so we created Dogology University and we just referenced Dogology 101 as the textbook, if you will, uh, for our training. And uh, that's really how we got started. Excellent. So where do you think this passion for, for dogs came from? Um, it really comes from, I guess, my youth. Um, it originally started because my, my mom was in the Marines and I was staying with my, my grandparents, my, my grandfather at the time, uh, he had a dog named Bo, who was a little border collie and he passed away while my mom was gone. And when she went to come pick me up after her deployment, uh, he made a, a, a comment saying my, my dog died and now you're taking away my, my favorite grandson. You know, I can't, I can't let it happen. And so he actually did not let me leave with my mom. So my mom <laughs> had to go find a border collie and I actually got traded 
for a dog. <laughs> and so I guess uh, that's where it really stems from. And then I'm more on a personal level. You know, like I said, you know, I came back from that that last deployment, just a, just a different person mentally. And I, I, I had a lot of regret. I had a lot of uh, anxiety. And I, I tried to take my own life. And we had a Rottweiler at the time, not trying to do any service work or anything of, of that nature. And when I was sitting there, like, and I, I was literally, it was seconds away. Uh, he, he climbed in my lap. He got into my arms, licked my face. And, and like, I couldn't do it when he was there. And so I credit him, the Rottweiler, for my life. And so my whole, I guess, passion now is because one dog saved my life, I want to save another veteran's life, and I want to save his, all the dogs. Because, you know, he wasn't even trained, and, and he was able to sense that and, and help me through it. Hmm. And so I, I have to credit him for where I am today. Wow, that's an amazing story. Um, so that takes you to actually helping thousands and thousands of people uh, across the world uh, with their dogs. Um, so when someone's getting a new dog at home, if, is he got some tips, some uh, some must-do things when you get a new dog? Yeah, I have I have several <laughs> keys to success. Uh, the first one is is getting the knowing the breed. Uh, I, I know every dog is different, but the breed standard is there for a reason. And so if you're not someone who, who is very active outside or someone who doesn't really run, there's no reason for you to have a Husky or Belgian Malinois. Those dogs require a, an extra something when you when you own them. And you're not if you're not already doing it, it probably 99% of the time is, is going to reflect on your dog. And so they're going to become anxious. They're going to become destructive. Uh, so then you'll put them out outside and then they'll get anxious there, start digging holes, barking. Your neighbors are going to complain. You're going to put then move it to the garage. And then the dog's going to start chewing through the drywall, chewing the walls, barking in there. And eventually that's what leads to dogs going to the pound. So, you know, make sure you understand what the breed standards are and that you're willing to put in that work. The next is to do is to have patience. Um, I use an analogy that every dog ever in any time, doesn't matter how old they are, the oldest they can be equivalent to a human in their mind is like a four-year-old. Uh, so they're always going to be dependent on you uh, and they're, they're going to need your guidance. You have to be patient with them. Uh, they'll start understanding what you mean. They'll generalize your language and, and your routine. But if you're, if you're expecting them to start scaling walls and fighting crime, um, <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not going to happen. Hmm. And then finally is the bite inhibition by Dr. Ian Dunbar. I think it's probably the most important thing when getting a new dog is teaching that dog how to bite um, and, and that it's not really allowed to bite too hard. Um, that way, if you have children, you have guests, you don't you don't have to worry because that dog understands what pressure is uh, or bite pressure. And then to obviously socialize it with other dogs. They don't have to be dog friendly. They have to be not dog neutral in my eyes. I don't like every person that I've ever met, right? And I'm pretty sure most of you and your listeners don't like every person. So the thing is, is you know, as long as they're neutral and they're not trying to lunge and, and attack another dog or other humans, then you got a really balanced dog. And all it then is just cleaning up the edges and, and getting that obedience. So, you know, you can open the door and it's not going to, you know, for a fact that it's not going to dart out in the front yard and, and, and run away. Um, but, yeah, you know, those are my tips. 
Mm, excellent. And um, something that sprung to mind after reading uh, up on what you've done, um, when you're saying about not, not expecting a dog to go and fight crime, it, it occurred to me when I was reading through uh, what you've done is how much of a dog at that level, when I'd say they're they're very highly trained, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but at that level, how much is down to the dog and how much is down to the handler? Uh, so I put a lot of confidence in the dog itself. Uh, they have to have the drive and the want to do things. And so at that level, I actually used to call myself just a glorified pooper scooper. Uh, <laughs> I would just let the dog be, uh, are you, are you a basketball fan? Are you an NBA fan? Or are you more of a soccer? Uh, more of soccer, but, um, I, yeah, I used to follow a bit of NBA. Okay. Uh, so LeBron James, um, mm-hmm. I would say the dog is LeBron James and I'm just a role player, just trying to win a championship ring. I, he, he's the one who can, he can smell the, the odor. I don't, my eyes can't pick up odor. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when we're out in the, in the desert and we're, we're scanning and we're looking, I'm relying on that dog, but we, it's a, it's, I call it a partnership like a hundred percent because we have to teach them how to be obedient to odor. But once they're obedient to it, then it's their, it's their game, you know, and we just, we're just along for the ride. And at that level, do many dogs actually not make the cut if you like? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I want to say only 25%, maybe 30% actually when they go through the program, make it. So it is, it is the elite of the elite, uh, the top of the top. Um, not every dog can, can do what, what we're asking from them. Okay. And is that something you were responsible for training from the, from the day that that puppy is? Uh, no, is so that- we actually, uh, we go through two different schools. So there's a handler school, which the human humans go through. Right. And then there's a canine school that the dogs go through and they get uh, brought in and imported from overseas or they are bred uh, right there in, in Texas. But um, it's two different schools. And so when I get out of school, I'll go to my duty station and there will already be a dog there. Uh, it could be a green dog, but usually when your first dog af- af- after you get out of school is usually a dog that's been experienced and, and can show you some ropes. Uh, and then when you become a, a more experienced handler, then you'll pick up a green dog to help along with their training, if that makes sense. Yeah, so a green dog being a, a dog that's never worked before. Correct. Right, okay. Interesting. So what's your day-to-day these days? You're obviously helping lots of people with their dogs. What Take us through what you do for a day. So day-to-day, we wake up at probably 5.30 in the morning, and we get our daughter up, uh, get her ready to go to school. Then we have all of our client dogs who are here and that we're training for them. We uh, feed them breakfast. uh, And then then about 6.15, all the dogs should have hopefully have finished their breakfast. And we start taking dogs out for pottying. And then we have our own personal dogs that we take care of as well. And so this whole morning routine probably takes, we'll be out the door by to take Natalie to school by 8.35, so again, probably an hour, hour and a half. Uh, and then when we get back, we're usually training uh, our client dogs and our dogs. Um, and then right now, we're, you know, I'm taking a break, but we have a couple dogs that we still need to train. Uh, we try to pull each dog uh, at least once, but hopefully you know how training works, that you need to pull them more than once a day. Uh, so we try to pull them at least twice a day. We do some uh, group play work where the dogs get to socialize 
and it's all supervised, um, at least by, you know, professionals. So if anything, you know, before it actually becomes a problem, we'll, we'll break it up uh, and, and re redirect the, the dog's behavior into something else. Um, and then obviously I'm, I'm trying to start some speaking gigs. Uh, and then we have our service dog uh, who we're training for a disabled veteran. Um, we're training him for tasks such as turning on, on and off lights, uh, clearing. That's him whining. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> uh, he knew I was talking about him. Uh, he can clear houses. So when the veteran comes home and it's, and it's nighttime, uh, the dog will then open the door uh, and go into each room, clear it, make sure there's no one in there, just to give that that veteran the ability to just not have the anxiety of the unknown, mm. uh, to give them a calm, a sense of calmness. Um, and then uh, that's really by eight eight thirty. We're trying to call it a night. Uh, we get all the dogs out one more time for potty, uh, and then we're in bed by my by, by nine. Mm. And these are dogs that are staying with you then. Yes, sir. Okay. And what's the reason you do that rather than um, maybe going into someone's house or something like that? Uh, so we we feel like we, we do group classes as well on, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Uh, but our modified board and train is where people usually work Monday through Friday. And so training doesn't take a break when you're at work. So we do the behaviors for you. We work the dog for you. And then on Friday, the owners come pick them up. And we go over all the behaviors that we've taught them and they get to practice themselves in their own home Saturday and Sunday. And then they're able to drop them off on Monday with and, and, and just let us know any issues that they had and we'll go over it and to eventually. So one, if they if we train it, it's one thing for me to have your dog do it. But will the dog actually do it for you is it's the big challenge. Right. Um so we have to teach the dog and we have to teach the owner. And what I've just noticed is if you just do one private lesson in a home, you're you're cramming so much theory, like learning theory, that they're going to have questions. They're not going to remember every detail. So if you can break it up into four, five, six different sessions, the owners can then retain that knowledge. And it, then you have a dog that's actually can be trained no matter what. Hmm. Okay. And when you've done the training, you've you the dog has done uh, whatever you're training and it's done it for you with no problems at all. And then the owners take them away and they don't do it for the whole of the weekend and come back on Monday morning and said that was an issue. How much is that down to the owner? Do you is that quite hard to train an owner? Um the way we train it, we try to use layman's terms. Uh, so mainly the, the main issue people will, will come to us with is my dog is still pulling. Uh, so then we just, you know, we talk about reward scheduling. We talk about, um, the primary drives. We talk about, you know, the learning theory, you know, and we talk about, you know, exercises that we can use to manipulate the dog to understand what we're at, actually, actually allowing it to do. When we actually put a dog on a leash. We're restricting it from being a dog. And so we have to use this communication tool to where this is what we're looking for. This is why we're looking for it. And it's going to be enjoyable for both the dog and the human. Uh, to say that it, it's hard to train the human, I think we're doing a discredit to the human. So I, I don't feel like they're, they're just, you can't call someone dumb. Like we, we have doctor, we have doctors and lawyers and business owners 
those people are are geniuses in their own right. They just don't know what they don't know. Um, and then you just you just talk to them and they'll figure it out, you know? Mm, yeah. And if they don't, you just, you know, it's all about asking questions and having open communication because this is a partnership. You know, yeah, I can train your dog, but I need you to understand what I'm asking of your dog and how I got there. And if you do, if you approach it like that, we haven't had any issues. Excellent. And you you mentioned something there that I hadn't heard of reward scheduling. Okay. Yeah. So when you first teach a dog anything, um, again, I, I'm not really a big fan of e collars, prong collars. Like I'll use them, but when we initially teach, uh, we have to give them something of value, which are usually treats. And you just keep rewarding them in position. And anytime you're asking them of a new variable, you keep, it's a constant reward schedule. And now when they have actually shown you that they can do it, you start bringing in the three Ds, which are distance, duration, and and, uh, distractions. Uh, And then you go back to constant reward schedule. And then once they've understand that, then you start doing variable. Like, well, I'll ask you to do a sit, I'll ask you to do a down, and then I reward. Or I'll ask you for a sit, a down, heel, and a come, and then I reward. Or I'll ask you to do a command, and you have to hold that command for five minutes, ten minutes. You know what I mean? Hmm. So there's there's consist there's constant reward schedule, variable reward score schedule, and time variable reward schedule, and and that's really where once you can understand those reward scheduling, you can teach a dog anything. Hmm. Excellent. It's a, it, you make it sound easier than I, I assume it is. Yeah, I hope. I hope not. I hope everyone understands that it, it does take time and effort and, and work and consistency. Uh, but you can, if you can master it, then yeah, you're 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 a dog trainer and a dog whisperer, if you will. <laughs> I can't think of anything that um, you you get to master that doesn't take a bit of time and practice. Uh, yeah, we get we do get people who don't understand that, and that does. It is frustrating, but then you just have to reiterate um, really why you're doing it. And you contacted us for a reason and you want to you want to solve this issue. This is how we do it. Uh, There is no I wish we had a a magic wand or a machine that we could put on the dog and and we can just speak to him and have him understand. But you have to you have to break it down to, again, Pavlov, like uh, Pavlov is the one who had the, the bell and trained dogs to salivate on the sound of the bell. So it, it takes effort. Yeah, cool. And I imagine uh, the same as any business you're you're getting people in. Um, I imagine for your business in, in particular, it might be quite frustrating that so many dogs that need training out there and maybe people aren't seeking out a trainer. Uh, I think it's more I'm frustrated seeing these dog bite cases. I'm frustrated because it's 100% preventable. It has nothing to do with the breed. It's how they were socialized and and, and how they were trained. So if you're using pressure on a dog, using whips and and, get, and eliciting the behavior of biting, that's what the dog's going to do, right? Hmm. Or if you're not even, you know, you back tie them to a tree and leave them out in the backyard, they're going to go into their fight or flight. Like they need to survive. So they become more defense driven, which, you know, they're protecting their life, which, again, that goes back to the four primary needs of a dog, which is food, water, air and pain avoidance. If they're they're not meeting those, they're going to find a way to get to those. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, it does. So that's that's what's frustrating. It's all preventable. And it just comes down to lack of education in our communities and acceptance. 
Um, there, you know, we, we all have rough neighborhoods where people want to have the biggest, toughest dogs, but then they don't know how to handle it. And they don't, they don't seek there because they're arrogant about thinking they know everything. Um, I don't even know everything. So, uh, it's just, it's just that lack of education that I'm hoping with your podcast and my books and, and everyone everywhere, their efforts is to provide this education for people to just make the right choices. Hmm. Yeah. So take me a little bit through why a dog bites uh, on the basis of someone who's not training a dog to bite. That's slightly different, but why it bites uh, by accident, if that's the right word. It's always going to be coming back to the primary drives. Uh, so a dog bites because of fear or because of defense. Uh, so they're fearing for their, they're trying to avoid pain. It's pain avoidance. So if they're scared, it's that fight or flight. If it's defensive, they've been told to just defend themselves, their territory, their food, um, because it's it's survival. Uh, Especially if we go into then, this could be a whole nother podcast if you want to talk about this. Um, Then we have, you know, the personal protections where we've elicited the behavior, but then, you know, for personal protection reasons, but then we kind of, dropped it because of personal protection you have to continually practice that uh so we've now then elicited the behavior and said it's okay but then we haven't really given them an outlet or a target to really uh, allow that behavior to happen and controlled it in every situation it goes back to dr ian dunbar where he talks about uh dogs will bite because they're unsure they're so like if we grab a dog by a tail and it's never been had its tail grabbed, its natural reaction is going to bite. If we run up behind it and we scare it, and we've never done that before and that's a weird behavior, the dog will bite because it's unsure. Um, but that's that's usually why it happens. Hmm. Interesting. And you often hear for people out there that um, are maybe a bit scared of dogs or, or nervous around dogs. I often hear people say, oh, he's only acting up because you're scared of the dog. Is is that a fact? Is that true? Uh, we had a scene in the military. Uh, I, I haven't heard of that directly, but we had a scene in the military where the the behavior travels down leash or your feelings travel down leash. So if I'm anxious, my anxiety will will travel down to the dog that I'm working and he becomes anxious. So this is really, really, really prominent with people who know that their dog is dog aggressive and they're nervous about walking next to another dog or they're walking down the street and they see a dog approaching. The owner will do something different. They'll either wrap the leash tighter And that's usually a sign uh, to get into a defensive drive for a dog. So now you're saying, I can't go there, but I want to go there. I want that now. Why can't I have it? I want to get to it. And so now they're lunging, they're barking. And it's just that you're creating a frustration in the dog, which just intensifies the dog aggression. So, yeah, I I think to answer your your question, uh, behaviors and, and feelings travel down leash and then dogs can sense that. Okay, and I imagine that's particularly when uh, it's the dog owner or someone within the dog's family. Correct. Okay, interesting. And I'm um, I'm a keen runner. Uh, I run a lot. I've been chased by the odd dog here and there. Um, and I know there's other people out there that's happened to. Uh, and I don't blame the dog at all. I don't blame anyone about it at all, really. But how would you avoid that? 
when you're running and you come in contact with a strange dog to make sure that nothing happens is usually if you're running, you've now become the prey. So it goes back into, again, the drives. And this is a primary drive of prey drive. So dogs are ancestors of wolves. They used to hunt. We don't have to teach them to go hunt. They can just do it. So they'll chase squirrels. They'll chase birds. They'll chase rabbits. And now you become that rabbit And when you're running. So the first thing to do is just stop, stand still. Do not make any sudden movements. Just stand still. Um, and keep your arms up to your chest. Um, don't make eye contact with a dog. And remain as calm as possible, which I know is probably one of the hardest things to do. Uh, if, you, if it does bite, what you want to do is drop to the ground, put your hands over your neck, make sure your neck is not exposed. And again, just go as limp as possible. Uh, you'll see videos of dog attacks and people are trying to literally throw trash cans at it. And all it does is just, it's again, bringing up that defensive drive, which makes the dog go and to drive harder and get a fuller bite, which is a harder thing to get out of. Um, but to prevent it from happening at all, keep a, a thing of uh, the pet off or the bark spray uh, and then spray it in that direction. Stay still uh, and uh, don't yell. Don't yell for help. Don't do anything like that. Uh, and then just slowly back away. Put it into a sit. Uh, if you can, if it doesn't do that, um, there's got to be someone around somewhere. Uh, mm. If you do see someone, then you can call out for help. But just yelling actually increases the the drive of the dog. Mm. And I think what we're talking about there is when a dog is particularly aggressive, the odd the odd bark or something like that isn't really a concern. Right. Yeah. Excellent. That's quite interesting because um, I have I've been chased from time to time, um, and I have, I love dogs, um, and often they're uh, people I know on the other end of the leash, but. Um, yeah, it's it's quite interesting how dogs can react to a sudden surprise. Yeah, um, the running really is either it's play or prey, and uh, it's really hard to tell the difference. And uh, well, again, I wish we had we could, if I could invent a machine where I could I could talk to a dog. You know, one I'm a millionaire, and two it would just be a lot of fun to figure out what they're thinking. You know, mm. yeah. And you mentioned your daughter earlier. Do you think she's going to get into the dog world? Oh, she thinks she's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, she wants to be an animal doctor, uh, which I'm a hundred percent behind. Uh, and then she is really, she, she tries her hardest to get, you know, elicit behaviors from our service dog, which is just really encouraging to see. Um, she has no fear of any dog, which I'm just so proud of. Uh, but yeah, I would love more than anything for her to join daddy in this business and, and us, you know, have a father daughter experience, you know? Excellent. And where do you see the business going? What What are your plans? What are you hoping for? Uh, we want to create an online distant learning, um, kind of like an online college uh, to be able to impact as many people as possible. Uh, and then we want to grow into at least one facility in all 50 states and have it be ran as franchises um, and, and see where that goes. Uh, I want to work on another book and create a seminar circuit uh, for every every summer go uh, across the country, across the, the world and put on seminars about the books, about training. And again, just providing that information to communities. 
Excellent. That sounds a, a great plan and something we'll we're, we're definitely keep a lookout for. Um, and if people want to get in touch or want to see what you do, where's the best place they can, they can see all of that? Uh, they can go to our website, dogologyuniversity.com. Uh, we have a Facebook group, which is with other, which we're trying again to create a online doggy park uh, where you can just come in, see what other dogs are up to, um, figure out, you know, if you're having issues such as behavior issues, uh, obedience issues, you know, you can just come in and ask um, with other dog owners and myself, uh, just hang out, post pictures. And that's just called Possum Parents, P-A-W-S-O-M-E Parents. And that's on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook group called Dogology University. And uh, we have Instagram, same same name. Um, and then we're, we're creating a YouTube channel again because I think it's just easier to see it than just hearing about it. Does that make sense? So I can say it all the time, but until you actually see it actually being conducted, uh, it's just it doesn't have the same effect. So yeah, we're, we're coming out with a, a YouTube channel. My wife's actually editing those videos, hopefully uh, within the next week or two. And we'll, we'll have that up. Brilliant. Yeah. Facebook group and Facebook page are, are where we hang out and, and, and try to communicate with clients and, and other fans. Excellent. And it's been really, really good for you to um, set aside your, you're clearly very busy, uh, set aside the time. It's been fantastic talking to you about all this. Again, like I said, thank you for having us. It was a very, very humbling experience uh, to be interviewed uh, with someone across the world. I think that's one of the greatest things about the internet. And again, uh, I thank you for allowing me the outlet and the platform to just talk about it and, and provide the education. No problem at all. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Matthew. Um, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Uh, looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. So that was my interview with Matthew from Dogology University. We had a great conversation and after recording as well, we had a, we ended up chatting for another sort of 15, 20 minutes as well. I thought what he had to say was really, really interesting. Um, and yeah, we're definitely going to stay in touch and potentially he will join us on the podcast again. So before we go, just a little bit of housekeeping. As we said before the episode started... We'd like to answer as many questions as you may have with dog or cat related questions. So make sure you get in touch. The place to do that is newlandspets.co.uk. You can also get in touch on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, but if you want to ask a question, uh, the place we're going to see it best is at newlandspets.co.uk. There's a contact form. You can ask your question there and we will get in contact. So thank you for listening. Remember to like and subscribe um, and we look forward to seeing you soon.